Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm quite well. I'm quite well. Let's begin this journey together. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. (laughs) As you think about the art and craft of poetry, what is poetry? Um, Boy, that's a a deep question. Um, I think... (laughs) I mean, for me, it's a, a, a pure expression um, of the soul, I would say. Mm. Okay. Why is it important? Um, I think it's it's that um, that spiritual side of the human being that's being brought forward, just like it is in a lot of the different uh, art forms, but using language... And what could be more important than connecting to the spiritual, you know, in a spiritual universe like the one that we live in? (laughs) Yes, yes. What are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, No, I I think it's, I mean, it's definitely, um, there's nature in a lot of the work. um, But... I would I would just say it just speaks to deeper issues of the the human psyche and the spirit. Um, I used to write in lines, and then in my second book, I broke into the prose block. Mm-hmm. And um, in the third collection that I have, that I'm pretty much compiled. There's it's a lot more sonic, so I would say it's getting more musical, more lyrical. Um, but the um you know the so sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the predominant themes? Yeah, I mean I think that the themes are just remain the same as I've as I've grown in you know, in the form, but I would just say that the work's gotten more lyrical, colorful and musical since I've broken into the pose block and gotten off of the line. But but it, it it's just you know sometimes it's hard to say what exactly it is that <laughs> that I'm writing about, but it's um it's like subconscious uh subconscious material that that comes out in this shape shaped you know all right, and maybe this answers this next question: How does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image um, a line will come to mind. And then it'll just guide it from there. So I'm not, sometimes it's an imagistic line, um, but it's definitely just a, like a a hunger to write off of, a, off of, so I guess you could say it's, it could be either an idea or an image. But it comes so quickly that I just hear it and then I can 
you know, roll forward from there. You hear it. That's an interesting phrase. That's nice. Tell me more about hearing it. It just comes from the subconscious, you know, and so it comes to the surface, and then it's almost like a mantra where I hear the line, and then maybe it's repeating. So I can grab it and and roll with it and, and listen to my inner voice, you know, where it's coming from. That's how I'm I'm writing the poems, you know. So so I'm I'm trying to step out of the way of the voice that's coming coming through. Um and then in the editing process going back and shaping what I've written, but always trying to keep out of the way of um of what that deeper part is trying to say. So if I'm working from a more conscious state, just like my everyday, you know, talky thoughts in my mind, my poetry wouldn't be very interesting. But if I can let the um, deeper voice guide it, that's when I can come up with the, the true poem, you know. You know, it's funny. I've interviewed over 150 people, and I've uh-huh. never had anyone describe it that way. It's beautiful oh, to get out of yeah. the way of the voice. I like that a lot. Please share some of your work. Okay, so I'll start with these two. The first poem is called Escape, and um, in the poem there's a girl trying to get into this house, and in the poem I'm inside the house. And, you know, again, this is psychological and of depth, so I can't exactly say what drove this piece, but there's an interplay going on uh, between, you know, maybe it speaks to um, to boundaries, to to someone entering in when they're unwanted, and or maybe it speaks to deeper issues. It's hard. It's hard to say. Um, so anyway, the first one's called Escape, and this one's in a prose block. So it says, "The girl beats and beats at my door." I hear the whole of her hand, like the whole of a ship, pummel the waves of air. I feel the bludgeons in her skeleton, the bones of her elbows, her hips, lash against the flesh. The war has begun. She has invaded this house, house of promises, adrift in blue light, its body like a body of water. Her fear, her anger must swim through to find me must turn eel, writhe among the couches, sunk in like giant prehistoric oars. This house of illusions, which her voice now enters, a fearless bird creeping along ceiling tiles where air bubbles burst, distant timber falling. She will find me if a pearl can be found, released by its oyster to its own world, rolling, a boulder through mountains, opaque, dreaming, winding its way to the gates of infinity. So my first thought, the first poem. Um, the second one here is called Aquarium. It was um, an interaction with uh, an aquarium that I had in a, a house I lived in some years back. It is because of their poverty that I write this. Born and raised in glass cages or stolen from a free-flowing place where wind is a force born of ocean. In this world, I am their stranger, corporeal shadow that looms like a huge black placostomus. I drift toward their light and place a hand against the glass, five-fingered, grotesque, darkness's hand emerging from its robe. 
Hidden in castles and tunnels, they pressed their flesh deeply into grooves, flattened against ceramic, their eyes labyrinths. They will never know my tender ways, that I kneel to feed sparrows in the pollen streaming day, that I nurture a child in this place of light. I don the blue dress of peace, tie yellow ribbons in my hair. Though it is true by night, I pace this house, charity rising from my pores like mists from mountains. Then into cold waters, I release my final handful of sustenance. Wow. Thank you. Both were beautiful. I could visualize both. Beautiful, beautiful pieces. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? I've read a lot of poetry growing up, just everything I could get my hands on. Uh, I love the French poet Rimbaud, and um, just in terms of this, the surrealist and the imagistic, um, Baudelaire, um, American poets, you know, of course, Mary Oliver is beautiful, James Wright, Denise Levertov, I mean, you, you name it, I've read their poems, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but over the, over the recent times, you know, I haven't been reading them too much, but I mean, there was such a huge influence um, in the beginning, you know. Um, so, I mean, those are some of the ones that, that stick out. But, um, gosh, I could probably list 20 more. <laughs> but, but oh, wow. you know, yeah, I've been, I've just been, as a kid, like in high school, I would go into the used bookstore and just grab everything that was called poetry. <laughs> you know, I, I love Robert Frost. <laughs> I, I really love him. I mean, one time when I was in my early 20s, I got a chance to read it like a senior citizen um, center and I was able to, and this was around Christmas and I was able to read a couple of his, uh, just his beautiful snow pieces. So I don't know. There's just so many brilliant poets out there. Well, you know, that brings up my next question. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Hmm. Well, when I, I remember writing a haiku when I was, I think, like around four or five, um, and just feeling it come come through. Um, I think it was one of, I think it was um, the cricket chirping, its sweet-sounding melody, it fills the world. I remember that, and, and so I was learning about how that third line in the haiku can bring the the scene or the whatever's happening in nature into the universal, you know. And so I remember just playing with that, and um, so so just learning about the haiku and the its form and how it worked and its connection to nature. I think was probably my first experience because I was I was pretty young. Now, do you come from a literary background? Not at all. Um, no, I think I think for me, the words are more like painting. So I have such a strong, um, just you know, um, imagistic. So it would kind of make sense more if I were doing it through that medium, through painting or something like okay. that. But I never had the the you know, I never kind of 
worked with that. For some reason, I was always working with words, but I didn't. I didn't fall in love with words like some poets do. Um, mm. One of my teachers. One of my teachers just loved words, and and I just was kind of crafting them, crafting these images that I saw with them. And while I'll get deep into writing, I'll sometimes hear a word that I don't even know its meaning. I'll look it up and. And I'll, and again, that deeper part of me will have, you know, is asking me to put down a word and I'll find it in the dictionary and I'll say, oh, okay, that was the right word. But I'm just kind of like streaming along these words, you know, but it's not like, it's not like I fell in love with words. It's just they were kind of a a way to express these images that, and, and that's for whatever reason the way I, I began it. But but yeah, my family, none of them are writers or anything like that. All right, very or nice. Or even artists. Please share, yeah. Or even mm-hmm. artists. Please share some more of your work. Okay, so the next one's called The Tattooed Man. And um, this just took place uh, at a, I, I have a business working with kids on the autism spectrum, and I was uh, to one of their houses. And there was a particular person there in the house that inspired this poem. So it's called The Tattooed Man. If sorrow, if anger transmuted is joy, then the skulls and twisted faces swearing from his head, neck, arms, is a bed of living flowers. Sorry, one sec, I lost the... Unbeknownst to him... He believes the ink gushes from his octopus heart as it blushes the spectrum from envy to hate, that the wilderness inside him is wickedness because of this mutation, his heart turning against him, growing legs like arms, while the other's heart stay true as camels plodding through the desert. He believes fire is the cure, burn the skin, burn the body. I see wildflowers in flame. California poppies rising as ashes. His forehead's haloed eyes glare into my third eye, a clear marble clouding. Spring opens its maw, unleashes the reckless, soaring cries of children. So that was Tattooed Man, and this next one's called The Neighbors. I hear them argue. Might as well be moonbeams, their voices laser from above into my quiet territory where I can't ignore what penetrates the windows' faces of glass. Red stars emerge, enraged. Constellations of a lioness ascend above the rooftop, she who devoured the sun. Stalked, I wait for their words to razor through space, tattoo a driveway warm as skin, there as a naked body. Thank you. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
Celia Drill. Question for you, Celia. Mm-hmm. All right. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Okay, so um, so the first, just real quick, so you said in the first scenario that it's like a living creature. Uh, could you just yes. explain that real quick? Mm-hmm. Well, that it's it's alive. That uh, you really can't change it at all because it's there. It's, it's it's an organism in a sense. Like once it's created, you mean? Yes. Uh huh. Oh, that's really interesting. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's beautiful. I love that. That that's that's really nice. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, I guess for me, it's always been. I I believe that it, it is created. At least how it works for me is I hear it come through, I craft it best I can, I try to feel the heartbeat of it and keep it pushing through, and then I feel like I got pretty darn close, and everything I heard um, deeply as I was writing it came came together. So it's like it is like, like if it was a sculpture. It's, it's like created. It's whole. It's in a form. Like you said, maybe it's like a creature, an organism, but then... I don't always hear it 100% correctly, so then I'll go back in my editing and I'll listen again. And that's where I may tone up things like um, the rhythm a little bit, the sound might be a little discordant, a word that I might have heard is supposed to be replaced with another word that had a sound similar, but I didn't quite, as concentrated as I was when I was writing it, I didn't quite hear it. In its in its master form, so that's how I would I would uh, answer that. All right, you know you talked about using words again in terms of writing. Many writers have favorite words that they use over and over again. Words again that they just can't help but using in their work. Do you three? Do you have three absolute favorite words that you use? Uh, there was a time I was using the word body a lot. Okay. Um, I have a, right. my first collection's body of crimson leaves, and I think I was trying not to use it, but but since then, no, that I can't. I, w- I wouldn't even know if I was. I, I'd have to look back at the poems and then tell you if I'm repeating something, but I wouldn't know offhand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Poets hail from all over the world. Where do you hail from, Celia? I was born in California, in Santa Cruz, California, and then I spent years in Northern California, up near, um, almost to the Oregon border, up in Humboldt County. Humboldt County. I know Humboldt County. Oh, you do? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did yes. <laughs> your growing up in California influence your writing? A lot of, you know, in, in um, my first two books especially, I mean, there's just a lot of trees mountains um, and then there's that wilderness up north that's like the subconscious mind I mean going through the, the thick forest and um, mm-hmm. particularly the redwoods I, I spent a lot of time with redwoods they're very moody forests they're very heady and um, wise and um, and solemn you know in my in my experience spending so much time in them and, and a lot of my poetry was and has been a bit that way, 
there's a density to it that I think is uh, influenced by from those from especially the redwood trees. Wow, the redwood trees—they're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. You know, they're they're darker forests. They don't have the bird life, but they have their and I feel a strong maternal energy from them. Um, mm-hmm. They're like the wise mothers of the you know, of that area. But they they're not their energy is heavy and they're they're they can be feel brooding. Um the land up there can feel that way. So it, it can be very intense and I'd lived in that for quite a for most of my life, yeah. So. Wow. Very nice, very nice. As you think mm-hmm. about writing, and you publish two volumes of poetry, Body of Crimson Leaves and Awake Through Dreams, what is uh-huh. the most difficult part of the artistic process? Oh, you mean in terms of uh, generating the books? or, or Yes. In, what do you mean? Generating yeah. the books. Um, it's agony. I mean... The first okay. book I was, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I don't, I feel like I don't have that much control over these poems. I they they speak out, and then I shape them best they can, and then I'm sitting there trying to figure out what they mean. I mean, I've I've had poems. I I got one published in a journal once. I happened to stumble across the journal, say five years later. I read the poem. I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> you know, so I guess. <laughs> And, and and the thing is, is, so I have this fragile connection to them anyway, and then I have to figure out, you know, what to do with them, and um, how, and and it's very hard for me to even sometimes see them clearly again because when I create them, I'm almost I'm in like a deeper state. So anyway, okay. needless to say, you know, trying to send them out to get published, I did that for years to get that first book, and um. That was that was excruciating to me. I it it just every time I'd get a rejection, I I feel horrible and I'd go you know. So I went through all that. The second book, I got so lucky because it was just it was the luckiest thing ever. I sent some poems to this beautiful journal called Peacock. Oh my gosh, what a pretty journal! And it just said send in your most beautiful work. And luckily, I um, sent in some poems and the. The uh, editor for that that journal really liked my work and then helped me connected me to his publisher. It was it was amazing. I mean, I had suffered so much with with the, the first one, yes. and then that one was just like like oh my gosh. Because honestly, it's hard enough that like with this, I have a third collection that's been ready to go for say a year, but I now have mm-hmm. to really do that work again and I mean I could send it to the same publisher but I probably will just see what life it has for itself but it's um, yeah I feel like I'm in a complete loss every time <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> to be brutally honest you de- I have to like yeah <laughs> it's the real you deal I'm the real deal <laughs> <laughs> you describe yeah. the experience as being excruciating I know from receiving rejection letters myself with poems that I've attempted to submit that it's not a pretty process. It's not a pretty process, especially when you feel that you've sent in your best work. So I, I understand oh, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, probably all writers for, Yes, any advice for starving artists in terms of, of that process? 
of submitting well, and getting you know, looking, looking back, I wonder if, first of all, self-publishing is on the rise, and everything's becoming deconstructed where, you know, obviously when you've got YouTube, every people have their own platforms. And I, I happen to wonder mm-hmm. if I were to start again, if I would have just gone that route, self-published, got my own following, and just built myself a web page and kind of gone from there. Because I feel like, I mean, it really depends. You know, when I was younger, I thought I'd, I'd need someone to stand behind my poetry to make it feel validated. You know, like, okay, oh, they yeah. liked it, so so it's good. Now I feel like I might just, if I had the confidence, which I definitely didn't have at the time, but if mm-hmm. I would have, it might have been nice to just see what people actually thought of it on their own without the the intermediary, you know. And, and plus, I'm, you know, Maybe you can make a few bucks off your book. I mean, I don't know. I think maybe you could do that now. So I, I would say maybe explore that first unless you really have the need to have that acceptance. And if you do, then just prepare for, you know, a lot of – well, I shouldn't even say that. Some people's poems may go right through, and you you may be savvy and find the right uh, – journals but for me I was clueless I mean absolutely <laughs> clueless I had no idea where my poem would fit and honestly most times it didn't fit anywhere very well because it was a little bit mm-hmm. different you know <laughs> so, okay. I understand I yeah. understand please share some more of your work okay so this one's called sacred objects and this one just kind of came to me um I paid in coins once for a crystal sun, carried it home, first in my hands, then on my back, as light threads unraveled, exposing raw night. Moon rose, the tone of a single lute. As dawn broke, I placed it in the window. Birth hues flushed its body, and I slept the length of day. You too must have loved an animal of cloth, a mask, some reenactment, cared for it with mercurial eyes that cast a dreaming color. As a child, you rocked your wooden horse until your sister stole it, until your mother banished it. Still it flows behind you, a spirit on a tether, the lead in a parade of those that shared your solitude. Today I glimpsed my son where it lay twisted as a question. I dusted it with breath. Then I held it high. I gave it back to light. And this next poem is called Pear. An image in a book delights the senses. That is this planet's power. From imagination, first sustenance. Rosy delicacies, still warm from sun's doing. Child sees the picture of the pear and eats it with all her lonely heart. Child finishes the pear and another pear appears. She picks this one up and holds it over her like light. She lets it drop, God filling her body. Thank you. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Um, I think that... I think I have the heart of a poet, yes. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, I think that I just have a strong spiritual connection to the the planet and um, 
Yeah, and like a, a depth and a sort of a a knowing and also a curiosity that would breed um, breed this kind of deep introspection and and wisdom and um, you know it could be another art form that I was working in like you said it, it could be painting or something that expresses the the images but there's something about pushing for some kind of meaning in each piece and being surprised by it. So it's like with each poem, it'll surprise me always, every time, and then I'll learn something from it, you know. So it's it's kind of like self-teaching, teaching myself about what I know about about the earth here and and all that we go through here on the planet. So it's it's a good way. It's been a good teacher for me. And... And then sharing it's another thing, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. I know when I first read poems, like back in college, one time I read some, and they were pretty raw. And I had a, a, a line of like 15 people come to talk to me after. And it was, something was going on. When I was reading, there was, people were going to a certain space. And so there was something happening where I was supposed to be sharing them, and then they were coming to talk so you know again there's something there that that I'm supposed to be doing with them and it, as as brutal as it's been at times for me to share them or even to write them or even or even to find out what they were teaching me you know that that's hard too it's it's always a risk um every time but but it does feel like it's part of the path for sure Nicely, nicely stated. Again, I'm really enjoying our conversation because I'm learning so much. Thank you. No, Thank you lovely to talk with you too. You have a beautiful yeah. energy about your voice. <laughs> very nice. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Very, yeah, very great, beautiful energy. I'm the lucky one here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to be able to make it through this interview. <laughs> Okay, so this next one is called, I guess this time I can do three because I think these are shorter. Yeah. So. Okay, this one's called Writing Like Walking in Snow. And again, I, I don't think it helps to introduce these much because I can't give much of a context only to say, okay. you know, they came in from a deeper place and so then I, I wrote them. But, you know, so the context probably isn't that helpful. So Writing Like Walking in Snow. Writing these words all before me is pure and glimmering the spirit's white. In contrast to the ink I dip my quill in, the symbols I write, they darken the landscape of paper. I am the crow etching my path across earth's frozen perfection, speaking into her silence, tracing the labyrinths of hilltops. It is not that I am unwanted here. In fact, I am needed a form to give shape to emptiness, lungs to breathe breathlessness. It is to you I am walking, beloved, reader of this poem. Your outstretched limbs, your branches, glitter a bride's lace and diamonds. And this next one's called Robin's Song. Listen, 
The voices of love pour through, gold and red, delicious as warm cinnamon. But loud as bellowing, the crow clucks a warning until what sounded like aloe healing wounds or rain resurrecting deserts is reduced to the churring of mice on early morning floorboards. Only in the breaks between the dark voice insistent do the heavenly messages reign again. Do we sing where we find ourselves weeping? And this last one of this group is called Hummingbird. I would rather look away than face your beauty. You who sailed to me on colored winds, a purple flame hovering, patiently burning. Who am I to believe what is revealed to my vision? As if I could bite the apple glowing from extended branch or feel feathers flying past me, whispering freedom. Instead, the stone in me governs. It will lead me one day to sleep underwater, to die, not to rise. So I lean forward in my chair. I extend my unbroken hand. The child in me is waiting for you to alight. And I must stay still, lest she leave me. The spirit who sometimes wakes in me, who binds me to my name. Thank you. Do you have a writing group or community of writers that you work with, that you share you work with? Uh, no, not for years. Uh, I used to do that back in the day, but it just doesn't work out anymore. I mean, I could. Okay. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind being part of something, but I just remember some years back I was in a, a writing group and I had written something. Oh gosh, I can't remember what it was, but mm-hmm. but it, it was a. I think it was a. It was a larger, it was like a longer piece for me. And one of the people in the group said, oh, well, you can reduce this down to these two lines. And I just thought, no, not not really. I mean, and the truth is, is that it's so delicate, this stuff, that when I would go to the groups, I would find out after a few few, uh, groups exactly what everyone's feedback would be. And I could just, I could just tell myself what they were about to tell me because you you learn how people read. And then, Mm -hmm. so for me, it's just poetry is more of a wilderness than that. So it has to be, I wouldn't mind if I could find the right people, but most people are more uh, formulaic in their approach where they, they look for certain things. And when I used to, I've taught creative writing for years and what I, what I try to yeah, I used to teach at universities and such. And when I when I do it, I I pull way way back. And I guess my favorite way in with poetry is just I try to see what what the strength is of the poem. You know, is are they are they excelling with the rhythm? Is are the images beautiful? Are they um, you know the tone, the language? I mean, and then and then try to like go in with the strength and. Um, Tell them how beautiful it is, and then um, if, if there's an area, where, okay, maybe the images aren't as strong. They're not very deep, or they're more superficial. But the rhythm is just fantastic. You know, just alerting them to the fact that wow, the rhythm is driving these pieces, and then kind of slowly working on on other parts, maybe. But trying to be very neutral and not subjective with my reading, and so. If I could find someone else like that that was neutral, 
and to mm-hmm. really look around the poem like just like examine it in a very fluid and beautiful way and I don't know, it would just have to be the right um connection. And if it was a soul connection with someone, a beautiful, lovely connection, then maybe the poetry could be shared. And then and maybe over a glass of wine, then we would dream up who knows. <laughs> but otherwise oh, wow. it becomes a road exercise and kind of like kind of like punishing for me otherwise. It, it's like it takes like the soul out of it to me a lot of times the way things get talked about, like they get reduced as if it isn't some beautiful spiritual exercise that, that in the first place, and we, I find myself doing like, feels like I'm doing math or something in these groups, <laughs> so I had to back out. <laughs> it's got to be all or nothing, it's got to be something all beautiful and amazing, I forget it. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> well, they always tell you to know what you want. <laughs> and claim yeah, it so. getting yeah. <laughs> Well then when you think about Success What is a measure of success as a poet um, That's a great question Measure of success I mean hmm, Probably just something very personal On that one you know in my opinion okay. Like 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 you found it, you know, you you wrote it. You wrote that one and it taught you something so profound about your own life that that you realized it and then and that's one level and then maybe you shared it and maybe it taught somebody else something or in a broader audience maybe it taught but like this reminds me, I went to Ireland in my early twenties and I remember Yates was everywhere, and that he's another one of my favorites. But um, he talked about finding, I believe it was someone was sitting on a park bench, and he saw them reading his collection in silence under, you know, under a tree. And if you think about that um, in terms of success at the at the highest level, it's first you learn from it yourself. You know, you share it with one or two people, and they learn from it, or they experience something very profound and then then there might be you know how many people experiencing that on their own sitting silently and learning from that piece i mean that would be like a ripple effect if you know and and that's what some of those some of those great writers have done and um so but from my perspective you know just just even the first part of it just sharing it with yourself just learning it um, to me would would be pretty powerful just by itself. And then the sharing, oh, that's so exponential, I guess I would say. Well, you know, it brings up my next question, and you probably answered it. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, Celia? Um, well, um, like for me, it it is to understand. It's to understand. So it's, it's to process and understand the world around me. So if I didn't write it out, if I couldn't find it that way, then I might not know it. You know, it's 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 like it has to for me to understand some of the depths of what happens here on on earth I have to 
discover it through writing. Okay, okay. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. back. I am here with Celia Drill. Celia, please share some more of your work. Okay, I've got the three left here so I can okay. do a little My first one is called River. She's sliding on by as if she always existed, as if she wasn't made of rain, made of snow as if she'd always flowed while all else stood still, always contained the changing color of the sky, carried the osprey on her back, held space for otters drifting out of time. If I was a child, I would tell you river is a mother because I cup her in my hands and drink, because in her presence I take down my hair, remove my simple clothing. I immerse because my wounds aren't healed. And I am not yet ready to be crowned. I float cloud shadow while river sings from her bones. And this next one's called Sunset Distant Mountain. I have come to believe there is a place of rest, always ahead of us, where the sky is an unrequited flame and something of significance rises into the future, belonging already to our eyes a promise of chilled air of absence that guides us through the lowlands where we traverse in lockstep with machinery, the disfigured shadows of angels, to the drumbeat, the moans of sequestered animals, while an illuminated eye emblazons the pinnacle, my eye, your eye, flown from the body like a gold-throated hummingbird swept to the auspices, the honeyed cathedral. And the first one's called When I Am Away From You. When I leave the happy home, mornings are shrouded in mist. This is the veil between worlds. What happens to me now is not my doing. It is what my life will bear, what it invokes. On the open roads, I roll towards some future, but I am traveling the golden thread that leads back to you. Caught in love's current, I ride the ring around your finger, the chain around your neck. I glide in wide concentric circles, a dust moat tracing grains of the Milky Way. Time here moves like sleep. Hours are passing images, godly visages of trees, skyline pouring forth the voices of the mountains. Thank you. Wow. 
You know, so much is happening in the world today. We're in the midst of a pandemic, or maybe the tail end of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. What do you view as being the What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? Well, it should be that sort of spiritual anchor. I think um, the place of process, processing emotions and truths, and um, you know, a place of learning. Um, a well should be the well, the village well. You come there, you drink, you know, you drink of the wisdom. Yeah, but in in my opinion, a lot of it, just like a lot of the, our society is kind of co-opted by corporations and corporate interests, and the peop, you know, the people are are maybe are not getting what they need. And I feel like poetry is kind of that way where. A lot of voices aren't heard. A lot of uh, wisdom isn't shared because of the way these, um, the whole book publishing industry is and everything like that. Um, so, but um, but still it trickles through. I mean, still it gets through, and still there is, po- you know, still we have poetry. You know, thank God mm-hmm. for that. You know, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. When you think about your body of work. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your work? Um, hopefully just, you know, hopefully there's an emotional um, connection or reaction and that the wisdom comes through the emotion so that it's visceral, you know, that it's felt and through the, through the heart of it then comes, comes a, a knowing or, or, or an understanding Instead of it being, you know, intellectual, but more through the body, through the through the heart, you know. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Here, and we've only got three more questions to you. <laughs> then you can go oh, back sure. to your world. <laughs> go back to your world. <laughs> well, does yeah. <laughs> does mm-hmm. writing energize or exhaust you? Oh, energize. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, I remember when I was first really, you know, when I was younger, I was learning about writing. I was, I would, I would start a poem and I would, I don't know, hours and hours would pass and I would be working on it and I would emerge out of it and I would have no idea where the time went. I mean, that, I would go so deeply into just a line or an image. I would just be with it for so long and, um. You know, and then over time, you know, just doing it and doing it, then it can come a little bit quicker. Um, but mm-hmm. but none but nonetheless that intensity is is like really nice. You know, I I feel I feel good after it. I feel uplifted after it. No matter what I process through, even if it's something dark, uh, or you know, it's like and that's. That's the thing I love about poetry. I, I have a hard time with prose, and, um, you know, with reading fiction and that kind of thing, just because with poetry I feel like there's this upward spiral. There's there's something that moves out and through a poem that brings it back to the light, even if it's been, even if you go into the dark, into the poem, and you, you'll come out uh, with some kind of uplift. And at least for me, 
that's how I encounter it. Whereas with the prose, I can go down a dark, dense road and just just keep going down. You know, and that's why I'm mm-hmm. so sensitive to reading fiction. When I used to teach creative yes. writing, I struggle with fiction, but that's just. I think my spirit just likes to be lifted back out of it, and that's. Mm-hmm. But I'm will I'm willing to go in as long as I can come out. <laughs> you know. Oh wow! Oh, nicely stated. Wow. But, and I think that's why it uplifts me when I write it, because I might have gone into something dark, but on the other mm-hmm. end I came out, and then I feel, you know, I can feel relieved and, and excited, and I've gained some energy, whereas um, if I were exhausted by it, well, that wouldn't make sense, but um, maybe that would that would be me writing, trying to write prose or something like that. I'd be... <laughs> I don't okay. know. I, there's, there's no hope of that. I, I that's just not the way I, I see you. things. You know. Yeah. No. Right. What surprises you most about being a poet? Surprises. Um, yes. What have you learned about yourself? Um. You know, it, it's what haven't I learned? I think it's more, mostly just. At times in my life where I've been very disconnected from myself, you know, there have been times, I don't know, emotional wounds or going through things um, yes. where I've, I've drifted away from myself and, and the poetry has always been there to bring me back in and um, bring me back to what's what's deeply going on. Um, like that first poem I read, Escape, mm-hmm. you know, that, that poem came out of a place where, you know, I discovered something, you know, this girl's beating at the door and I'm inside this house and it's like, it's like watery and I'm escaping from this intruder that something's coming in. Well, you know, again, it's it's teaching me about something going on in my psyche um, that needed to come out. And even though I may not know exactly what, it, you know, like specifically it pertains to, there's a release there and then some type of lesson. So I think it's, without it, I I feel like I could be, I could feel more conscious and more shallow just because I would be really swimming in the shallows all the time. You know, I, I would be reaching down into the depths to find out the truth, you know, the truth about the world, mm-hmm. the truth about myself. You know, it, it's like, I would be living, and, and when I'm not writing, I do feel like that sometimes. I'm, like if it's been a while since I've written, I'll be, I'll feel more, um, <clears throat> almost superficial, you know, like another side of me is, is uh, at work, and it's it's not my best side. I mean, it's just not my most interesting self. It's just a, it's just a self that gets along in the world. But the one I really want to contact is the deeper, the deeper mind, you know. Deeper heart. Oh, too. very nice. Very mm-hmm. nice. Very nice. What's next for you creatively? Well, I really got to get this book out because it's. Um, okay. What happens is I don't know for you, but when I've collected over say, ninety poems or whatever is in this third collection, I have to process them and move them out so that I can uh, be free to to make new ones again. With like there's like a weight to it. So I gotta, I gotta do that, and I gotta deal with that, um, or else um, 
that feels weighing me down. The other thing is I tend to lose stuff, and I'll lose whole collections of poems and things. And if I don't get it out quick, it, I might lose it. I might literally physically okay. lose it, you know? Okay. <laughs> like, like lose a manuscript, you know, lose the file on the computer or have forget where it is. It's happened a few times, and it's just gone, you know? So All right. I, I, have only a, I have a narrow window to kind of move it there. <laughs> And then I'll and then I'll try to and then I'll start writing again. You know, hopefully I'll have the breath of fresh air. Well, I want to say thank you for spending time with me tonight. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed hearing your work. You're an incredible artist, an incredible poet, and I wish you nothing but the best. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks, thanks so much again. All right, all right. Well, to our listening audience. I want to thank you as well for tuning in, and until next week, let poetry ring. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and Make sure to catch our next episode.